Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 325 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going today, Richard? Hey, Seth, my allergies are killing me, but I'm here. <laughs> We're going to make yeah. it through. My, mine too, mine too a little bit, but we got another co-host, Krim. How are your allergies today, Krim? Actually, in the exact same place Richard is at, so I, I don't know, it's pretty bad right now. Uh, well, the good news is we're going to discuss more than allergies today. We got a lot of magic topics to talk about. We're going to talk about Strixhaven. The set is finally out, so we're going to talk about its impact or maybe lack thereof on various constructed formats. We have uh, some etch foil stuff. We had early access being canceled by wizards. We got some myst uh, mystical archive secret lair news that wizards kind of gave us on magic online. So we're going to be jumping around today and then getting to your fish mail at the end of the cast. So we're going to be jumping from topic to topic, starting with Strixhaven in constructed. But before we get to that, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And if you've ever tried to sell your magic cards, it's a lot of work. You gotta type everything in, you gotta sort everything, you gotta ship everything. It's a hassle, it takes a lot of time. Well, Card Conduit, they are the easiest way to sell your cards. And if you wanna avoid those hassles and avoid all the time it takes to sell your cards, this new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder will sort, grade, and sell your magic cards for you. And once your shipment is processed, you'll get the proceeds minus their fee. And right now, you can even get a 10% discount by going to cardconduit.com slash goldfish. So thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the show today. And let's talk some magic. Let's start with uh, with Strixhaven. So the set is officially out. It's been out on Arena for a little bit now. We've started to see the start of tournaments. We haven't had big paper events, obviously, but we're seeing the start of, you know, Arena tournaments. There's been some historic stuff, some standard stuff. What do you guys think of the impact that Strixhaven is making on constructed magic? Uh, let's just start there. Let's start there, and then we can dig into it a little bit. Oh, uh, I don't know. This, this, okay. I feel like it's almost on the same level as Caldheim, uh, or or if not a little bit worse. But standard wise, I just haven't seen any of these cards on the ladder. I've only seen Eldrain. So it's only, it's, it's just Eldritch. Like for another set, it's kind of upsetting. Uh, cause this is the set I've been most excited for on that whole lineup and, you know, the concept, all the things going on in this set. It's just a lot of fun, but it's just not better than Eldraine. Uh, yes. It, it is definitely not better. Definitely not better than Eldraine. I have had almost exactly the same experience. I, when I, <laughs> When I first started playing on Thursday when the set released, I was playing a bunch of standard. I was kind of shocked that no one was playing Strixhaven cards. And I tweeted about it and everyone was like, well, yeah, but, you know, it's release day. Cards are expensive. There's a lot of reasons why people might not have, you know, new Strixhaven cards right away. So I was like, OK, OK, that's fine. But it hasn't really changed. It's been a few more days. People have had time, presumably, to get the cards. And it's really just all the same old stuff. And we even started to get the first tournaments. We haven't had like a big GP or anything, but there was a like standard challenge uh, on Magic Online, which is a pretty competitive event. There was a couple other smaller tournaments through MTG Melee. And if you look at these deck lists, I went through the top eight and 
it's basically barren of anything from Strixhaven. There's like on occasion you see like a random removal spell. Uh, some of the emergent ultimatum decks are playing one Professor Onyx as one of your tutor targets with emergent ultimatum. Seen a little bit of like uh, elite spellbinder showing up in like white aggro style decks, but for the most part, there's just nothing. Like no one is playing with Strixhaven cards, and uh, I don't know. Do you think it's just that? Eldorain is too strong, which we, I don't even think that's up for debate. We know that's one of the most powerful sets that Wizards printed in a long time. Or do you think this is just a weak set as well? Like, how much of it do we blame on Strixhaven not being that powerful? And how much of it is Eldorain just pushing everything else out of the format? I I think for me right now, at least, I, I, I feel like that this is probably more on... <laughs> Eldrain, and I don't know if that's just because that's my easy, you know, target, <laughs> but I it it just feels like every time I do anything, it's just like, well, Eldrain does it better. Uh, there's there's nothing in this set that makes me also feel like, oh well, it even has a shot in any of the current decks because, well, once again, Eldrain, Stomp, 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 Brazen Borrower, you know, all these things just make it so a lot of the the strategies that I feel uh, that are coming out of you know Strixhaven just are kind of irrelevant. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I really wish they just rotated Eldrain out a lot earlier. Uh, and, and this was exactly how it felt at Kaldheim. Uh, and it, you know, it's kind of just the same results, like maybe two, three cards are played in standard and it feels really bad. What is, what do you think, Richard? Do you trust wizards at all that they release this set into this environment Knowing this result, like why couldn't they just pre-ban these Eldrain cards, right? I, I think the power level of Strixhaven is fine, right? It's it's not fine relative to Eldrain, but you don't want to print another Eldrain, right? Because then the next set will have the Strixhaven problem, right? And that that's like the very definition of power creep, right? But when you have a power creep set in standard, you need to get rid of it, right? You need to axe the rest of these cards, get them out of standard somehow. Uh, we have rotation, but that's that's still far away, right? So just pre-ban these cards so that people will buy Strixhaven because why would you buy Strixhaven now, right? Why would you sink wild cards and Strixhaven cards? You don't need them, right? You have to wait until Eldrain rotates to see if it is underpowered or not, right? Is Kaldheim going to crush Strixhaven? I don't know, right? Maybe Strixhaven's really powerful, but we, we don't know any of this because Eldrain is kind of suppressing everything. And so I, I don't know why Wizards just didn't like get rid of some of these Eldrain cards as part of the Strixhaven release. Like, why couldn't they foresee this happening? Unless they really think there is some meta deck sitting in Strixhaven that no one has discovered. And maybe in like a couple of weeks, we're going to see it. But since the arena era of magic, like three days after set release, the, the meta is solved, right? So if we haven't seen it yet, like it's it's not going to change dramatically, I don't think. So I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with these Strixhaven cards. Well... To, to be fair, in, in defense of Strixhaven, by the way, I, I think the set is great outside of standard, but yeah. I, I kind of feel like Wizards knew this was not going to be a powerful standard set. I think there's, there's a couple of reasons I think that. One is, if you just look at the mythics of the set, most of them seem geared for Commander. Like, uh, just reading them off, even during spoiler season, that's where most of them seem, they're big and expensive and flashy, which is something I like out of mythics. Like, that's kind of what I want mythics to be. But at the same time, they're, for the most part, not cards that you read and are like, okay, that's a, a Lotus Cobra or something that's obviously, you know, cheap and efficient for standard play. The 
other thing is, I don't know if you've noticed this trend. It seems like wizards, when they think a set might not be very good or very powerful or have trouble selling on its own, they do something special to make sure people will buy it. In this case, we got mystical archives in every pack. And I feel like maybe that is wizards way to sell the set. They're like, okay, like some commander players are going to want this. It's probably not going to do a ton in standard or modern, but if we can have these really juiced mystical archives that are going to make this set valuable, people will be excited for, people are still going to buy it because remember, uh, do you remember when Battle for Zendikar came out and we were writing articles <laughs> about how Battle for Zendikar, like no one played it at the pro tour, like Gideon saw a bit of play, but it was like a dud of a set. Like it just really didn't see play anywhere. But that's when they started doing masterpieces. So the set was one of their best selling sets of all time, despite the fact that it was very underplayed in standard because it just wasn't a very powerful set for standard. So I kind of wonder if if Wizards knew this and this is their way of like powering things down a little bit. Obviously, it feels bad for standard because Eldorain is so strong, but maybe they're kind of like powering things down, trying to get standard back to a more reasonable spot and trusting that they're going to be able to sell the set because of Mystical Archives. So are you saying every set is a commander set now and Throne of Eldraine was our standard set? <laughs> I mean, Ugh, I the, we get we get premier sets now or whatever. Premium, premium sets is what we get now. Like if you've noticed, Wizards is actually, they don't even call them standard sets anymore. The idea is these are like premium sets that have stuff for everyone. So I kind of think that that's, that's true for the most part. Ah, this is it. This is the end of competitive magic, right? Or like not casual magic. I don't know what you call it. Like 1v1 magic. But uh, if, if Wizards is not focusing anything onto standard players and they're instead saying, look, commander players make all the money for us and we're going to make our three annual set releases commander focused and then standard players can get the scraps. Kind of the opposite of what it was like three years ago where standard is the focus, commander players get the scraps, right? What does that bode for actual like 1v1 magic? Are we all just commander players now? Like, I like I don't, like you just never buy cards for your standard, you buy one Eldrain set and then you're like, I'm good for like two years and then I'll just play commander in the meantime. Like, is that what we're doing? I think they're trying to please everyone with the sets. Like, and I think another, another aspect of Strixhaven is like the learn lesson thing, which is kind of... That's obviously not designed for Commander. It's not even legal to play them in Commander the way that they work. So I feel like maybe this is their like companion from the set, but because of how overpowered stuff like companion uh, companions were, they powered them down so much that they're not actually standard playable. So like the big like constructed mechanic is just not really that good for constructed for the most part i've seen it actually it makes me it makes me feel pretty bad i i have seen people playing like green black pests and the deck is like so cute you're like oh i play my like lesson and tutor up you know some pests from my sideboard and then you know i'll play like a blood artist effect and sack them and doing all these cool synergies and it's such like a cool idea and it looks like such a fun deck but then you just have your opponents are just like oh like emergent ultimatum like sure dude 
do all the cute little things you want. I'll cast an emergent ultimatum. Or you're doing like all these fun little things. You're supposed to like, oh, rogues, counter it, counter it, mill you, mill you. Like, and you're just like, uh, okay, like, sure, like, go get a vest. So, so yeah, I, I kind of feel bad for Strixhaven and Standard, really. I don't think Wizards meant for it to be as bad as it is. Like, I don't think they want their premium sets to exclude Standard or not be Standard playable at all. But I think maybe they missed... <laughs> A little bit low with learning lessons, which is like the big constructed mechanic from the set. There's no way they thought learn lesson was good. There's no way. Like that that had to be for best of wonderful limited. Like anyone can just look at this and you're like, if I have the option of several bad cards, I don't want any of them. <laughs> right? Like like what like it's such a bad mechanic. Like the idea of the mechanic is fine, but the actual cards are not good enough to see play in standard, right? So having a choice of like bad cards does not help you. Plus they eat up sideboard slots. So like there's no way that was like a meant for constructed uh, mechanic. Maybe it was originally and then they got the companion uh, scare and like, oh, this is too good. <laughs> they just nerfed it into the ground. But like as is, like there's no way they thought this would, this would have been a good mechanic. Then what is for, <laughs> okay. So if we say that learn lesson is not for standard, there's not a whole lot that I can see in the set that really is geared for standard then. <laughs> like, in all, in all honesty. Elite Spellbinder. Yeah, Elite spell. I mean, you yeah, you can pick out a few. Like, Professor Onyx could be a finisher and a control deck. Like, Myla slash Luca is probably playable somewhere at some point. Some of the removal spells are pretty good for constructed. But there's really I, not a ton that's like, oh, wow, that's obviously made for, for standard. Yeah, maybe not for standard, but I mean, I I really liked, uh, what is it, Baleful Mastery, I think? The four mana exile creature or planeswalker. That's definitely a good card. Yeah, that that one was super solid. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm actually a lot higher on that card now. A spe- I mean, once again, like as I said, this set just gets better when you go out of standard. But <laughs> because like that plus Narset, Parter of Veils is so good. Ooh, yeah, that's <laughs> that sounds I've, like I've, a very grim thing to to do now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah, I, I played like, you know, historic and I've been playing Demir Control or, you know, like Magma Opus, you know, with Gear Hulk. That's just it's like it's so much better outside of standard. But in standard, I don't I, I really can't find many cards that have a home. What if they're just powering down standard for post rotation? What if they're like. Commander is super popular. Everyone loves battle cruiser magic. We'll bring battle cruiser magic to standard, and then we're we're just powering it down slowly. And then once Eldrain rotates, you're gonna be playing at like the four to five CMC, where you're like everyone is like kind of mid rangey to high end, and that's the power level we play at in standard. And that's what they're going for with Strixhaven. I I actually think that that could be true. And actually looking at the sets that'll be in standard after rotation, you have uh, Zendikar. You have Keldheim, new now Strixhaven. That actually sounds like a really interesting and fun and not overpowered standard to me. So I think once Eldrain drops off, especially, but also like companions from Ikoria, like getting rid of those will really shake things up. Uh, so I feel like once we get to rotation, the standard is might actually be really interesting and sweet. The bad news is that's like still a lot of months away. Like, what what do we do in the meantime <laughs> while we're waiting for rotation to happen in September? Do you really just not play with the new cards? I guess you play other formats. You play Historic. That was <clears throat> kind of shocking to me that 
on release day, I was streaming and I built a ton of standard decks because that's what I always do for the first stream. We just play a bunch of different standard decks. And as I started to like play the decks, everyone's basically like, no, no, no. Like we, we don't want to see this. Uh, we want to see historic. Like, please, please stop playing standard with the new standard <laughs> cards. Like I've seen emergent ultimatum too many times, like build a storm deck for historic or something. I was like, oh, okay. Like if that's where you want, but it seems like the general attitude from the community is like, just not hyped about standard at all right now, but they are interested in other formats. It's because no one can afford historic. They need to see you play it, Seth. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't get me, don't get me started on that. I, I, I saw, I saw some mass purchasing on Arena. I'm like, holy smokes, historic! Who can play this format? Like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I, <laughs> I have spent uh, $350 on packs so far, and I was actually calculating it today. There are still 16 mythics that I do not have from the Mystical Archives. So that's probably Wait, another like $100 like a, or $200. Not, not even a single copy? Or a uh, No, no, missing altogether. Missing all, yeah, oh, to yeah. have all of the mythics. And that doesn't include the banned ones in Historic. That's just for the ones that are actually legal someplace, so... So yeah, uh, it is it is super super costly that way. But at least I have all the unplayable standard cards as I try to buy packs to get the mystical archives. But did you get Divine Gambit? Oh, I, I'm sure I probably have like a playset of Divine Gambit. I tried to ignore that one. <laughs> I think Crim. yeah, I think I dropped three hundred. I think. And yeah, like I, I am. Wait, how did you get so lucky? I feel like you, your results were much better than mine. At the after three hundred dollars, you're telling me you only are missing about sixteen mythics. So after three hundred fifty dollars, I'm up to so three hundred fifty dollars altogether. I believe I have the full base set or very close to the full base set. And I'm missing after spending all the wild cards and my vault. I opened a couple of times like after spending all that. I need 16 mythics to complete the non banned mystical archives. I don't even think I'm anywhere near that. <laughs> oh, man, my RNG was not good to me. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that is that is a problem. And it just oh, we're getting off track here. But like. What do I do to get those 16 mythics? Like, it's arena, the so wallet. the only option? <laughs> Open the it, Yeah, you just, I buy a bunch more packs that I don't need to get cards that I already have just to fill the wild card wheel. <laughs> like, that's that's basically the only pathway forward that you have to get those cards, which, oh, uh, somehow I love opening packs more than anyone, and somehow Arena has made me hate opening magic packs. And I love opening packs, but on Arena, I like, I dread it because it feels bad to just like open packs and be like, okay, come on, wildcard wheel, fill, fill, please fill. Like, I need the, I need this mythic so I can build my deck. It's, it, it's not really enjoyable, which is so weird to me because I'm the person that's like <laughs> waking up at GP Vegas and cracking Zendikar packs because I had it sitting there and just like for fun. So, <sighs> but we're getting we're getting off track. We were talking constructed crib. <clears throat> Why standard might not be in a good place with Strixhaven. We have seen the set make a really big impact on our other arena format, which is historic. What do you think about the impact of, I guess, the set in general, but also mystical archives in specific in historic? Yeah. So historic is just too much fun. Uh, this is like the, it, this is the entire, 
Like, like this is the just complete opposite of what standard is right now. Uh, Strixhaven and all that has made a huge impact on historic between Brainstorm, of course, Faithless Looting. Uh, we've already seen Inquisition. Uh, we, we, we've seen the, the Time Walk decks and whatnot. Like, that's primarily what every blue-green X deck is right now. Uh, but it, it's this whole set uh, full of, sh- like, Mystical Archives, you know, Lightning Strike or whatever, the Lightning Helix, sorry, Lightning Helix. There's just been so many things from Strixhaven. I've seen Spellbinder. The, the format looks, I, I, I won't lie to you, I think I've played against the most diverse meta in Historic. I played against a Jeskai Reanimator deck that uses the Scholar or whatever, the seven mana Scholar from Jumpstart, and then that <laughs> casts... Like, like, uh, emergent ultimatum. They also play, uh, uh like, unburial rites to get back the, the scholar. And I'm just like, what is going on? I played against Grixis Storm. And this is, this is so much fun. Historic right now is just an absolute blast. And it's really, really cemented itself as its own format, not like Pioneer 1.5 or something like that, or a little bit of modern. It's just its own format right now. And it is so much fun yeah historic is in a absolutely wild place right now uh we are seeing a a massive impact from strixhaven in general in the mystical archives in specific we knew that faithless looting would bring phoenix decks like that was something we knew would happen we knew brainstorm would be good we knew uh, control decks would play memory lapse like so we knew a lot of the mystical archives were going to be powerful in the format but it has really just changed the format as you said there's storm decks running around there's phoenix decks running around but maybe the most surprising part is some of the biggest impact has actually been main set cards like if you look at the hooglandia open that happened this weekend I think that the most impactful card is actually Magma Opus, where many of the top decks in the format are playing Magma Opus along with Torrential Gear Hulk. So you can make the treasure and then flash back the Magma Opus uh, on the cheap with Torrential Gear Hulk. So we're seeing that in like flash decks. We're also seeing it in control style decks. We're seeing a human stack. Uh, came in second place using Elite Spellbinder as one of its key cards for the deck. So everything we said about uh, Strixhaven in standard Basically, the opposite is true in Historic, where the set is just, it's changed the format. It doesn't even look like the same format. Like, if you played Historic a week ago and then jumped on the ladder and played Historic today, you would not recognize it as the same format. That is how different these decks are, how many do decks there are. So, I think, at least on that level, Strixhaven has been a win. It is a legitimately exciting time to be playing Historic. Standard, on the other hand, not so much. The problem is, as we were just talking about, it's really expensive to play historic. And I think it's a lot to ask the average player to be like, okay, just build this new historic deck because it's not that easy to get the new mystical archives that you need. And often these decks need a decent amount of new cards. And a lot of them are jacked up in rarity. I was trying to build like Ponza for the stream today and having to spend mythic wild cards on like primal command rares on stone rain and faithless looting. It just, it kind of makes you cringe a little bit. So uh, the format's awesome, but I'm not sure it's accessible enough for the average player because it's so difficult to get all these new cards yeah uh i mean the i guess at the at the end of the day wizards a while back used to want it to be where that it was two wild cards to craft uh any card in historic and i mean they they did away with that but 
kind of had all worked out in the same way. And, I mean, his story <laughs> is wild cards. so... How about a mythic wild card, then? <laughs> <laughs> like, it just feels like that. So, I, I don't know. It either feels about the same or maybe just worse <laughs> than the double wild card. Oh, can you <sighs> imagine this is the norm going forward? Like, every set, you need, like, 300 plus dollars just to keep up in historic? I think yes. it is the norm. <laughs> Someone, someone did the math, and this was excluding, excluding uh, the wild cards you can get from the wild card wheel. But they figured it would take nine over nine hundred packs to just open all of the cards in the set. And based on my experience, even with spending your wild cards, it's probably going to be like 500, 500 plus packs, five or six hundred packs to actually be able to get all the cards from Strixhaven, which that's a that is a big ask uh so as much as i like mystical archives i'm a little worried (laughs) about even me and i do this for a living and i can make richard pay for it like but even for someone like me who's like the whaliest of whales because of making content how do you keep up with that like how i don't even know how that's possible to keep up with honestly you know anyway we got (laughs) you're not whaling up that's the answer right (laughs) the true whale just opens up and drops a thousand dollars and doesn't blink right they're like yeah okay cool (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, we got we got other topics uh, related. We had set release last week. And one of the traditions since Arena has been a thing has been early access day. So the day before the set drops, Wizards gets all the streamers and content producers and is like, hey, we'll give you a God account for one day. Go play the new set. Stream it. It's great promotion for our set. And then. Uh, 24, 30 hours, something like that, before everyone thought that this event was going to happen, people started getting an email from Wizards that was just like, hey, uh, it's not happening, and it's not only not happening for Strixhaven, early access is done. We're not doing it anymore. Krim, I know you were impacted by this, and you, like me, were expecting to play it on a Wednesday. What do you think about the end of early access day for new sets on Arena? Well, you know, being there from when it started to watching it go under i you know it is it is a bit of a sad one to see right because it was the best way to like just have you know a bunch of content creators kind of just make the let's just say you could see the pest deck uh you could see what was intended of strixhaven without having to worry about seeing you know eldraine dot format so and like you sure some people would show up and make the competitive deck so this way you kind of get a little bit of a test of like can my deck actually pair up against what's good and standard right now but it is a bummer uh at the same time i'm not surprised in a weird way because i th- I feel like they now uh, like like magic when it comes to marketing right they do want the eyes from other games right I, I, I feel like with the content creators they had now, I think they, they felt like maybe there was a cap that they could have hit on eyes. So maybe they, they're, they're, they canceled that so the budget can go somewhere else. And I think that's my, I, like, that's my guess as to why it's done. That's, that's probably true. Uh, at the same time, how much does that cost? Like, how, how, like, in the grand scheme of a company that's, uh, making almost a billion dollars a year, you're not paying the streamers anything. You're not even actually giving them any cards or anything on Arena. You're giving them temporarily for one day only. I guess you got to have people run the event. You need, I don't know, community manager type people to answer questions and to actually like set up the event and invite people to it. 
but it seemed always seemed to me like it was a really low cost uh, way to advertise a new set from Wizards and and also advertise Arena because you do get a lot of views. I was looking back through some of the numbers and it is a pretty big streaming day compared to a normal day for just people watching Magic on Twitch. You're getting several times as many people watching on Early Access Day. And then hopefully some of those people are excited by the cool things they're seeing. And then the next day they're like buying some cards so they can build a cool new deck they saw on early access day. So uh, I'm sure that's what they're thinking, but it's just such a small amount of money, or at least it seems like from the outside, such a small amount of money to get so much publicity, even if you're trying to like branch outside of the magic community and get to big YouTubers and streamers from other games is it really necessary to cut this low cost thing that was one of the only things I think on arena that actually brought the whole community together? I feel like arena is so segmented. You have like spiky players doing spiky things and their fans. You have like kind of in between players. I guess I would be semi competitive or something where I'm trying to win, but I'm also doing like fun things and that play style has fans. Then you have very casual people. Early access kind of brings all those people together, all the different aspects of the community together and I really miss it. So, and I also have to say the way they canceled it was kind of unforgivable. Like if, even if you know you're going to cancel this, and even if you're thinking is we can spend this money better someplace else uh, in our advertising budget, having it be announced that it's happening in the content creators discord. And then after people arrange their schedules, I, there are people telling me like I took time off of work so I could do early access day, things like that for wizards just to like drop an email and be like, Hey, it's not happening roughly 24 hours, slightly more than 24 hours before the event was supposed to start. (sighs) That was, that was a really rough way of handling it. So I think that's the part, even if you got to cancel it, at least do it in a, I don't know, more respectful way that takes into consideration a lot of people making content have lives and they have families and they have jobs. Like not everyone that's doing early access day is full-time hashtag, you know, content creator, influencer, MPL or whatever. So I don't know. That was the part that bothered me most. Even if they have to cancel it, at least you could have done it in a, in a better way than it actually went down. No, totally agree that the random email, uh, like at 24 hours before was a, uh, here you go. You can give out some packs. <laughs> so, <laughs> That that was that was interesting. That was definitely an interesting email to to receive. But yeah, like it's it's a bummer to see it go and much like you it you know like yeah, it was a great way to have everybody come together and like just play magic and it was the closest thing that we had to like a pre-release. So now we don't really even have a pre-release. We don't have a set launch tournament to watch. We don't have anything really. Yeah, this one's yeah. a bit of a head scratcher. Like when they when they make cuts to pro pay, play or when they change it around, you're like I don't I don't know what's going on, but probably they're focusing on streamers instead of you know pro play, and then they make these changes to uh, the MTG streamers, and then we're like I I don't know like they're probably focusing on non MTG streamers, which is fine, but it costs them so little to just like throw a bone to the MTG community and to give us an event. Right, like like Krim said, we don't have pro tours, we don't have grand prix, we don't have pre-releases at our stores. We have like literally nothing, right? This is like the one event we still had. So just to cut it at like the cost of like basically nothing, it just it just rubs me the wrong way. Like they could have just thrown us a bone and be like, yeah, this is not the most lucrative marketing 
you know, use of our budget or whatever, fine. But we want the community to like come together, play cards, brew, whatever, and you know, have a little celebration upon set release. And they kind of took that away. So my only hope is they're doing this to replace it with something better. But I feel they would have said that if they were going to do that, right? To avoid the backlash. So, so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't really have a, a ton of faith that this is just a reorganization and we're going to have something similar but better. I think they had some changes with... Uh, the person running the program, I know Mishy uh, used to do it and then she left. And I think this was kind of like her baby for the most part, where uh, where she was the one who set it up and kind of organized it and ran it. So I wonder how much of it has to do with just, you know, reorganization at the company with people leaving, new people coming in. Maybe they have different priorities or view it in a different way, but it is still really sad. And I think a very underestimated aspect of it is. Early Access Day was the day that gave you gave you hope. I realized that this spoiler season where I bought the cards and started playing on release day and I was like, yeah, I got all this sweet stuff I want to do. And I jumped into the ladder and it was just like, oh, rogues, Yarion, Yarion, ultimatum, ultimatum, rogues again, mono red, mono red. And I was like, oh, you know what? I kind of loved, even though it was false hope, I kind of loved early access day because you'd play your like janky, fun, exciting stuff from the new set. And you would often play against other people who were playing their fun, exciting stuff from the new set. So for that one day, you kind of had this hope that like, oh, this cool stuff from Strixhaven might actually work. And then, you know, a day or two later, you play on the ladder again and get crushed by Yarion and come back to reality. But bone I, crush, I kind of <laughs> bone, bone crust, <laughs> yes, into oblivion. But I kind of miss that. And I wonder if that plays into people not being hyped for standard. Like, I wonder if we had early access day and people got to see all these crazy brews fighting against each other and someone's got to win in the crazy Strixhaven brew battle. So it kind of looks like maybe the deck works a little bit. I wonder if actual release people would have been a little bit more excited about standard rather than just immediately being like, it's the same old stuff. I've already seen this. I don't really care about watching standard right now. (laughs) I... I think at the end of the day, this is all going to tie back to whether or not standards should be rotating faster. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a yes. Like, like it, it, yeah. I think at this point, it's just uh, for me, I don't even know there's if there's a really good argument against it at this point, because the one big argument was like what it did in paper. It was too hard to keep up on. And I feel like a lot of that goes away with Arena, or at least it could go away with Arena. If Wizards wanted to, they could easily compensate people for rotating faster like hand out some more wild cards or whatever give people more gold like it would be very easy to not make the game cost anymore and rotate twice a year instead of once a year so i think that is a pretty obvious thing for wizards to try again although i don't know if we're gonna see it or not i think they're still a little bit gun shy because of how things went the last time when they tried this and there was like kind of the big freak out and people got mad and didn't play standard but i think it's different now in the era of arena and it should be tried again how long ago was that wasn't that when tarmogoyf was good like for real battle (laughs) how many years was that it was it was energy energy era i think wasn't it no i thought it was bfc you're talking about when they had the two set rotation right or like yeah. they, they chop it down to two sets. There's like in a block, and it was gonna rotate, or something like a sl- a little bit faster. Uh, I I thought I could have sworn that was Battle for Zendikar, but if I, mean, uh, I guess it was Kaladesh. That's probably about that's probably about right. Battle for Zendikar led into Kaladesh, right? I think they were in standard together for a minute. So yeah, around that time. So like yeah. four years ago, maybe 
four or five. I don't even know. Time goes by so fast now. Probably longer than that. It feels like it was like four years ago, though. That's so long ago that like this, this magic is not the same as it was back then. So like, yeah. yeah, maybe it's time to try it again. Right. Magic is nowhere near what it was back then, because, I mean, back then we didn't even there was no real like online client that everyone played like every waking moment you know now we have it even on mobile i mean mobile is laggy and whatnot but i guess it kind of works so <laughs> but the thing here is yeah like there, there's just now so many ways to be playing magic and and so often that i i think standard needs to move faster especially when there's like you know sh- like streaming magic has gotten bigger Right. There, there's a lot more streamers streaming magic. So there's constantly like the I, I, I I'm never going to be like, oh, hold on. I came up with that deck idea. I mean, I wouldn't do that anyways. But like the thing here is just I feel like any idea people have already had it. And the thing here is when you're streaming it so often, it's just I don't know. There, there's nothing new by the time launch with the set releasing digitally a week before paper launch. It's already like solved. Everything's solved. So I think. Magic needs just to rotate faster, a lot faster. Uh, I would agree. So, all right, moving on to hit up another topic. Richard, uh, you had a bit of a project over the weekend, something that I have been wanting for a long time, which is expected value calculations on this site that uh, that update automatically because we got all the prices. So now you can see the update change kind of like in real time. So you did a lot of work to uh, get this... (laughs) Get this up and going on the site. What did uh, what did you learn trying to do this uh, EV calculation? Oh, are we going with happy Richard or really pissed <laughs> off Richard? Because <laughs> let's, I, let's, let's I, was, I was so insanely bad this past week. <laughs> like, insanely bad. Like, I was about to write the most scathing article you've ever seen. But then, you know... I calmed down and they got lazy and here we are. But (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to calculate the EV, right? And you would think, you know, in my mind, uh, EV is easy. You just got to do the work, right? And, you know, we've been lazy. We haven't been doing EV. Seth has been doing it manually for set set releases. So we thought, okay, we do it this time. And uh, it is super, super complicated. And Wizards does not give you all the rates, Right. You would think so back in the old days, you had a pack. It had a myth. It had a rare that was upgraded to mythic. Sometimes you had uncommons and you had commons. Easy peasy. Right. Nowadays, you have like a lesson slot. Uh, your your rares can be replaced by borderless versions of rares. Uh, and then Wizards doesn't list the rates of any of these. Like you have to scour the Internet across four different articles uh, to figure out the rates uh, of each thing. And it gets even crazier when you get to set boosters and collector boosters. They always say things like you get one rare or, uh, or mythic, but they never tell you the upgraded rates. So you have to make a guess, right? Or you don't know how many, say, foil mystical archives you get. You have to make a guess. You're like, oh, I don't know, one in a box, three in a box, one in every three boxes. But I did all that. Uh, there are a lot of holes and assumptions where there's no data Right. We had to ask like store owners. We had to scour the Internet and people just don't know. Uh, but we used like our best estimated guesses and we calculated the EV and a a booster pack of Strixhaven. So just a, a normal draft booster pack. The EVs come down a bit. It's about four uh, dollars versus uh, three dollar retail. Right. If you buy a box, it'll, it'll be slightly different. 
But the real EV moneymaker are collector booster packs. Uh, the EV, the collector booster pack is about $56 and uh, it only costs about like 24, 25 bucks to buy a booster pack, uh, which means the mystical archives uh, are very overpriced. Uh, that's where the majority of the slot is. If you actually go on the website, so they're on the price list. And also, if you look at any individual uh, sealed product in Strixhaven, we have a breakdown, right? For the collector booster, we see that the mystical archive foil etched is $18. Like, that's how much that slot adds. We know foil mystical archive or the foil borderless or extended is $11. Uh, so you can see where the money is going. You can see that commons are being propped up by Dragon's Approach. They're actually worth uh, a lot uh, because Dragon's Approach is the new, you can play like unlimited number cards and those cards, stores typically have a hard time holding stock of because when you buy them, you need to buy a lot. Uh, so yeah, check it out. Uh, we, we have the breakdowns. I actually have the full calculations. Me and Seth were working like all week, like double checking the calculations. Uh, if anyone wants to double check them, they can reach out. Uh, we might actually publish them, but you'll see that it's like six pages of calculations to like get like one collector booster. Uh, it's actually quite ridiculous. And I I don't know how Wizards gets away with this. It feels, the reason I'm so mad is it feels so morally wrong that you're buying like a lottery ticket without knowing the odds. And I had always assumed the odds are known. You just didn't calculate them. But the odds are actually just not known, uh, which ah, I feel pretty feel i don't know i don't like how it is uh but the, the reality is like if you change the rate from like say one and two to one and three a lot of times it doesn't matter which is why the ev calculation is still pretty close uh but the fact that it's just not known especially in this day and age with loot boxes where like you get the exact percentage of every single drop in every single slot and it's easy you don't need to like scour four pages cost reference do some math uh, I, I feel Wizards needs to up their game on this, right? And for them, it should be very easy, right? Because it's a physical printing process. They have sheets, right? They can very easily tell you the probability of each card without doing this weird, like, you know, every pack has a rare, but that rare is sometimes a borderless. And if it's a borderless card, it replaces the exact same card of the same type. And then sometimes it can be Japanese, 50-50. If this one is Japanese, the other one is not Japanese, right? Like, the, the way they explain everything... It's so verbose and weird and so hard to understand. And they're missing rates, right? They're just like, this is a lesson. It can be common, uncommon, rare, or mythic. You guess the rates, right? But no one knows the rates, right? So, so yeah, I, I don't know. But the EVs are up. TLDR, EVs are pretty good if you want collector boosters. Or the other TLDR is uh, the Mystical Archive cards are super expensive right now. So over time, these two should converge. Um... I still wouldn't recommend cracking packs, though, if you want specific set, uh, cards, right? Because what are the odds of getting a specific mystical archive? It's, like, actually pretty difficult. But if you want, like, a lot of them, then uh, just cracking packs could be the way. Yeah, and it's important to point out, too, that uh, EV is based on, like, the average. So I know, like, Tomer just opened a box, and uh, his box was not was not great. He did not get good mystical archives, and he probably ended up maybe breaking even uh, if, he, if he got lucky and maybe actually not even breaking even for what he paid for the box. So with a one-box sample size, anything can happen. If you're, you know, opening hundreds of boxes or even, you know, 20 boxes or something and spending thousands of dollars, it should even out eventually. But uh, yeah, I think in general, the safest thing to do is still just buy, buy singles. Even when the EV is good, 
it's it's still a lottery ticket. And even if your odds of winning on that lottery ticket are higher than other lottery tickets, it's still a gamble and you still can lose. So so yeah, singles is still the the safest way to go. And I too was absolutely shocked that some of the information was just unknown. Like I, I've been calculating EV for a long time, and it has certainly gotten way more complicated over the last couple of years as they keep adding, you know, different borders, different slots, uh, mystical archives, things like that. So it's way more in depth than it used to be when it was just like, hey, rares, you know, mythics, uncommons, commons, maybe a foil once in a while. But I, I thought there was actually laws in some companies that said you had to publish the rates on things like that. I, I actually remember it happening with Arena. Because it wasn't published, like drop rates of getting wild cards, for example, on Arena. And some people freaked out about it and were like, well, there's actually like laws in these countries that say you have to publish them. So maybe it's different with physical cards. Maybe it's grandfathered in or something. The laws are really weird how <laughs> how Magic and other card games are not really considered gambling, even though everyone kind of knows opening a pack is very similar to like opening a scratch off for the most part. But uh, but yeah, I was very surprised to find out that just. Some stuff isn't known. We know you can open foil mystical archives in draft boosters, but we have no idea how often that can happen. Like, is it once a case, once a box, multiple times a box? That information just isn't known. So, so yeah, I hope Wizards does more than uh, with that in the future, but definitely check it out. I'm super excited to have the EV up, and I'm super excited to have an EB that is going to update throughout the set, because that was the one thing that... I disliked about the expected value articles I would do. It's a great snapshot for a point in time, but prices are always changing. Demand is going up and down. So it's going to be really interesting to be able to kind of track the EV for Strixhaven in a way that we've never really been able to do before. Yeah, it drops fast. Uh, I remember when we were working on this last week, uh, a Strixhaven booster pack was 550 EV. It's already at 440. It's already dropped like 20% or 25% uh, in the past couple of days. And the set's not even officially out yet, so it'll it, it should start dropping even faster once we actually have release day and a ton of it's being cracked. So so take the numbers with a grain of salt. If you buy based on you know expecting to get six hundred dollars for your collector booster box, uh, a value out of it, by the time you actually get your collector's booster box, it's likely that mystical archives are going to be worth less than they are today or something as people start uh, cracking them open. So speaking of. <laughs> EV and Mystical Archives. Little little topic. Have either of you seen the etched foils from Mystical Archives series? Because this has kind of been a been a topic. Uh they're not very foily. Like I was watching Tom Tomer's box open and I honestly couldn't tell that the cards were foil really at all. You can kind of see it a little bit like around the text box. But for the most part, they're not what the Commander Legends uh, etch foils were. Uh, so they're they're very different. What do you think about this new subtle foiling? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't even know there were etched foils for this. <laughs> 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 so, so the Mystical Archive cards can be etched foils, and they only appear in the Collector Booster Packs. And you can get Japanese and English etched foils. And according to the stream, I was also watching Tomer open random Japanese cards. He didn't know what they were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was very subdued. He kind of liked it, but most of chat did not like it. Um, but they're they're basically less foily. But I, I, I don't know. Is that like a compromise for the people that don't like foils? <laughs> like, 
I don't know. It's, it's hard to say without seeing the cards in person. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll have to see it because I legit didn't even know they had these. So I was just like, okay, that's awesome, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it, I think once it comes out in paper, I think I'll have a better look at it. But right now, I don't really know. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people were mostly just surprised. I thought, although I couldn't really see the flying all that much, I thought the cards looked decent. I didn't think they looked bad, but I think that. When people heard etch foils, I think they assumed that that just meant, oh, they're the same as Commander Legends and like very foily and very obvious. So I think that uh, people are more just surprised at this different take on foiling. So I thought it it looked good and very subtle, but uh, definitely a lot different than what etch foils look like in Commander Legends. That's for sure. Uh, all right. One more topic and then fish mail. Uh, thanks to Wizards. We actually have some upcoming secret lair news. Uh, Wizards <laughs> accidentally, purposely, I don't even know, posted some new secret lair stuff on Magic Online with the Strixhaven update. Richard, uh, what do we what do we find on Moto about secret lairs? All right, we have Mystical Archive Frame secret lair cards. Uh, we have All Is Dust, Artifact Mutation, Drown in the Lock, Fire Covenant, Fractured Identity. Fracturing Gust, and then we also have Shocklands that look similar to the previous Fetchlands we had in the Secret Lair. These were on Moto, so high probability that this is very real, uh, but how they're going to be released, what price they're being released at, all that is unknown. But we do have like the card arts, uh, which you can see, and then we also know that uh, they're in the Strixhaven Mystical Archive frame. I like the the Mystic Archive looking one. And it seems to have a decent amount of value. Like, All is Ducks, Fractured Identity, both all pretty valuable cards. <laughs> Drown and Lock, super, uh, super playable across formats. So I think that's a solid layer drop, assuming they're selling it for the normal price. I would guess that Shocklands... My guess is it's going to be like Fetchlands, where it's not just you can order as many as you want off the internet. Maybe it's like LGS exclusive, like the Fetchlands were. But I don't know. One of them had Seb McKinnon art, and uh, it looked pretty good. So the art on all of them looks really sweet. Anyway, uh, I think that was all of our topics. We jumped around a lot today. Let's answer some fish mail questions. Richard, take it away. All right. If you have questions, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. <laughs> at Yakusei, why not relegate MTG fish mail section out? <laughs> See how poorly it's performing. <laughs> it's the complete opposite of what Wizards is doing with MPL. At least we know how fish mail works. We just can't see any results. <laughs> you mean uh, regulate, right? Regulate. <laughs> <laughs> regulate. We're going to regulate fish mail now, folks. <laughs> But yeah, we, we tend to skip fish mail during preview season because people want to just talk about previews. And a lot of the questions they ask are about the new cards anyway. Uh, let's see. Neo Yasu 93 Is there a world for Brainstorm to be safe in Historic with inefficient shuffle effects and excellent counterplay to hand disruption? I think it's safe in the format. Wait, to, to play Brainstorm? Brainstorm. Yeah. Is it? Is it legal or is it banned? It's legal. In Historic. Okay. Then the answer is it's safe. It's already playable. Yeah. Oh, safe for now. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Have you played with it, Krim? Is it yeah. safe? Oh, yeah. I mean, I do I think the card is... Like, on the other like, side. You've been playing on the other side of it. Not casting your own Brainstorms, but your opponent casts Brainstorm. You feel it's a good, fair magic card. I don't know what it means to not 
play Brainstorm when it's legal in the format. <laughs> so, so like, I, I will be honest with you. I, I think you need to either be playing Brainstorm or Faithless Looting. If you're not playing one, you're playing the other, <laughs> or you're playing both. This, this doesn't sound so, like I think fair and healthy to banned. me if everyone they're, has they're, to play Brainstorm. It's such a good card. I think they're going to get banned. It's such a good card. How do you not play it? <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. I, I would, well, I mean, I would thing, splash right? it. Everyone needs to play it, right? Everyone needs to play it. Otherwise, you're not playing the format, which is a good case for it being banned, but, right? But but it, it, the thing, the reason why I've enjoyed it so much is because, well, first off, so many people cast into my Narsets with it. And then on top of that, <laughs> <laughs> I it's been really nice being able to respond to Thoughtseize and Inquisition. Like, yeah, I mean, it... it that is that is an upside. I will say I feel like people maybe have went a little too far with Brainstorm. I've seen some decks that seem to be just like splashing specifically for Brainstorm, like uh, the Green Black Storm deck with Bolasis Citadel. I've seen some people like playing blue mana, I think almost exclusively to have Brainstorm in their deck. And is Brainstorm that good, do you think, Krim? Like if you're playing, I don't know. Uh, a lore hold deck, as you would say. Yeah. Are you are you splashing into blue just so you can have brainstorm? Well, if I'm not playing brainstorm, that once again means I'm playing the other pillar, which is faithless looting. If you're playing uh, okay. neither of those, then you're goblins. <laughs> <laughs> we, we figured it out. Yeah, like it's that simple. If you're not playing those, you're goblins. And and I'm I'm also laughing. Now that there's a combo that's just faster than goblins, and and so it's like cool muxes, dude. I'm gonna just go Thassa's Oracle Tainted Pact. Yeah, I've I've seen people playing that. I I'm still not sure how good it is, but the when you have the right hand, it can win super quick. I, that that card or that whole deck has not been an issue for me, but I have been playing control decks. So <laughs> where because they're playing a ton of singletons and they want their best. You know, they they rely on a few of their best cards. The issue here is like if they have to do it fast enough to before I like because right now thought distortion is so important. Thought distortion is so good right now between exiling every extra turn spell in the opponent's graveyard. Uh, you know, obviously eating all their counter spells in hand. Thought distortion is an absolute haymaker right now. And I'm sure people are going to catch on. And they're going to start playing Narset's reversal. But yeah, like the, the, right now, if you're if you're in historic, you're playing the pillars. Thought sees. Faithless looting, brainstorm, Muxus. and div- and if you're white, divine gambit. Divi- yes, that's their, that's their yes. pillar. Because <laughs> swords to plow shares was just too strong. <laughs> so you know, I get it. I get it. Divine gambit is a solid replacement. <laughs> just kidding. Please do not. That's not the fair replacement. That card is terrible. Uh, at 11 Vicious, with the rising prices of reserveless cards and the increasing popularity of Commander, can Wizards print a set, let's say, blue border cards, only legal in Commander, <laughs> call it no Commander Masters? <laughs> <laughs> Have, for example, blue border Gaia's Cradle. Uh, could Wizards? Yes. I mean, I think Gold Border would probably be the most likely, like the old World Championship decks. But uh, Wizards doesn't seem like that's something that they're interested in. I think while it would be completely legal under the reserve list, I think it's one of those like spirit of the reserve list things where Wizards, for some reason, stays really far away from the line. So it's not just the reserve list, but it's anything that's within like 20 steps of the reserve list is, is too close for Wizards for some reason. 
they already said that they wouldn't do gold bordered reserve lists like a while ago. Maybe their opinion has changed, but they they said a while ago that like gold border no more. Uh, so they they wouldn't do this blue border idea. Plus, I I don't know. Like I mean, there there are other versions of cars. Like you have like collector's edition, like square borders stuff like that but I, I think basically all variants are off the table as, as far as wizards are concerned so I, I don't think they would do that Juzam to plowshare if the mutate ability had split second would it be a more playable mechanic mm, yes <laughs> when when you take something and make it better uh, it it gets better would it be <laughs> would it be would it be <laughs> a great mechanic uh I think you would still have an issue so so the upside is you would be able to guarantee that you would get your mutate triggers, which uh, that would be helpful. Although at the same time, the problem with mutate isn't so much that you get blown out with your mutate creature on the stack. Because wizards kind of thought of this and made it so the creature would still come into play. So it's really not that bad. You would still have the inherent weakness of mutate that you like stack up two or three creatures and then a single removal spell kills them all and you end up getting like three for one. And I don't think split second would actually solve that issue. So while I think it would get a bit better, I don't think it would drastically improve its odds of seeing play in standard. You need to have mutate creatures give hexproof and indestructible. No. <laughs> then, then you then you would get somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, like the the kill your creature in response doesn't matter too much because you know you have the ETB effect uh, to accommodate for that. So yeah, I, I do agree with Seth. I think it doesn't really change much. You do need uh, hexproof. <laughs> or how about how about how about ward ward? Let, let's ward do eight. away with. Ward okay, 8, Ward, okay, Ward 8 20. is ridiculous. So that's <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Ward, uh, Ward 2 would still just be fine, right? I mean, if everything just had the Frost Titan effect, I think that'd be fine. Could I mean, all of your mutate creatures also have it? Would it combine? No. Like, no, if you no. warded a warder onto oh, a warder, that, that, would it then that, be 4? That okay. might work. That would work. That, that would, would work. I could see that. That would start spiraling. And then you're rewarded control. for stacking up more of them, yeah. Rewarded. Nice. <laughs> rewarded. <laughs> Very nice, Seth. Very nice. Uh, okay, last question. Zofka, mass land destruction. We should keep that, and it should also be less salty. Why should players that ramp only have a right to stay untouched? Balancing land situation should be more accessible in a more decent way than mass land destruction like Armageddon. Uh, and more printed. Can we ever fix land destruction? What if you had like yes. a balance for only lands and it costs like four? Is that fixed? Would you even play it? Is it fair? That's that's actually what I was gonna say. I think I think that ways of punishing the ramp player and commander are probably pretty healthy and fine. So I think if you had something that was similar to balance but only for lands where everyone went down, hmm. Maybe it's still abusable because then you have the person that just plays all the mana rocks or something and yep. like has no lands in play but a ton of mana. So I guess there's still potential for it to be abusable. But I do like the idea of some sort of like mass land destruction. Maybe you just have to like put a number on it. Like uh, everyone sacrifices all but, you know, five lands, six lands, some number of lands that hits on the person who's playing all the cultivates and all the explosive vegetations, but wouldn't really harm someone who's just playing a, a normal game of magic. So I think there are ways to make mass land destruction okay, but I think that uh, 
that yeah, just full on Armageddon blow up all lands. You're, I don't think you're gonna convince commander players that that is uh, that that is fun. What what about uh, what's that spell? It's the six man enchantment from Ixalan where it puts counters and then blows up a land randomly or a permanent Ooh, uh, fall of thread. No, no, no. Um, there's a hazard bombardment. Yes, I think you're yes. thinking. Oh, no, that's so, terrible. <laughs> no, 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 no. But 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 instead of it being six mana, it's cheaper, and you blow up two lands at random. Okay, okay. I, I, I think it's you like would never play any of these cards. You lands. would never play. If I had a card to kill two of your lands, it's not even worth a card to me unless it cantrips, right? Like you well, would never would. spend resources to lower lands for no reason. Especially if it's like, it has to be a crippling blow so they can't kill you back, right? If you just like knock off two lands, you're just going to get mad and kill you. So Yeah. Well, it would happen every turn though. Then, then you're essentially creating like super slow Armageddon. And you, yeah. you're, say, you're going to get the same effect. If they can't interact with it, they just got Armageddon. Well, so. that's, that sucks to suck again. <laughs> <laughs> Should have oh, played around what? it. <laughs> we we, we are, have what, cards like Wildfire, right? Like take you down to four lands, I think. We have some of these cards. They're just not playable because either they are mass. If you're at like, you know, eight mana and I bring you to four, like your game is probably over anyway. Uh, unless you're holding mana rocks, right? So it's effectively the same thing. So I, I actually don't think there's any good number if i make that number too high everyone goes down to six lands then that doesn't do anything and i just wasted a card and a bunch of mana so i i feel like there's no middle ground for land destruction it's like either you go all in an armageddon or you don't do it right and the only land destruction we'll see are like stone rains to kill you know field of the deads and things like that and that's it maybe we just need more better versions of uh, that blue enchantment that everyone was excited about and then quickly realized was really bad. Confounding the one that conundrum. makes you bounce a land with, yes, Confounding Conundrum. Well, Maybe we need just more cards like stick that on a, a Moldrifter or something, like a, a playable <laughs> card already, and then just incidentally punish the people that are like going all out on playing multiple lands each turn. I mean, or we can do the mono red approach where you have like the mana barbs effect. Mana barbs are pretty obnoxious too, though. <laughs> right, like, like maybe like for every for the fifth land you tap every turn or something, you get mana barbed. But under four is fine or something. Oh, I was just gonna say every okay. land you tap just oh, in just, commander, just straight, just straight mana barbs. <laughs> yeah, but but like actually like power creep to twenty twenty one, where it's like every land you tap, it's like you take three damage. You, you, you <laughs> price <laughs> progress yourself for every land you tap? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that'd be a good idea when you have 40 life, you know? <laughs> the the other thing is like Gadok Teague, right? You, you let them have all the lands they want, but they can't play spells above like four CMC or something. That That's also an option. I'm here for that. Yeah? I'm here for all yeah, of that. Yeah, it could also work. Only because I, I so, there there has to be something to stop all the green bounce like like ramping. So yeah, I I agree that I think a way to punish green ramp is something that would be helpful. I'm just not sure that mass land destruction is the best way to go about it. So I, I like the where that question is going and what it's trying to achieve, but ah, 
I don't know. Super mana barbs. Seth. It's just so maybe maybe super mana barbs is a way to go. But yeah, people just like playing magic and mass land destruction keeps that from happening. So. I, I have a white well, hull breach or white opposition agent where when someone ramps, you flash it in and then you take their ramp. That's just hull, that's just you mean opposition agent or you say hull breach? Yeah, the, like literally, but it only affects lands and you give it to some other color as well so that, you know, you're not killing lands. You're just taking away their ramp. I think if it only triggered on like your second plus land each turn, I think that would actually be a sweet way to to power up white and hate on ramp. I think I, for something like that though, I think it'd need to be your companion <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's just too late, right? It, it's too late. They've already done their you know thirty two land in one turn by like you know turn three. So hopefully you have it. If not, you draw it and it's miserable. There's no point in playing it. I mean, if it had a, a reasonable enough body, like, I don't know. Isn't that also true of, like, uh, Hull Breacher or whatever? No. Like, if you draw no, it after they already cast their wheel, then... Because because I think, meh. like, the, the thing here is there's tons of ways to draw, and, and like, drawing is going to be something that people will do at every phase of the game. Uh, playing a land in the late game, you know, it's like a ramping in the late game. It doesn't really matter, right? At that point, their plan is already there. Like so, yeah, like no, we'll just true. make it an MDFC then, okay? Well, <laughs> the backslide can be a land for the late game. <laughs> it needs it needs to be something you can have early, <laughs> and that and so that's why it's like okay, it has to be a companion. All right, well, well, I'll, I'll petition to add it to Rogak's uh, list of abilities here. <laughs> the, the steel <laughs> ramp ability needed on a zero mana zero one. <laughs> I'm here for uh, it, but yeah, I think I think green. There, there should be something, but I, I do like something that has to be done at the time it happens rather than after the fact, because after the fact means it's land destruction. Uh, but if it's like a counter spell type effect or like a opposition agent or something, I think that could be fair. Uh, all right. That's all the time we have for fish meal this week. Thank you to everyone who sent it in. If you have questions, send them to at MPG goldfish with the hashtag MPG fish mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that that brings us to the end of episode 325 of the MTG goldfish podcast. So Richard Cribb, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to card conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic and also with a uh, very special guest next uh, next episode which is going to be fun so until then have a amazing week everyone and we'll talk to you soon